The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Nice to have you along. This is The Boys of Tech, episode 60 for Tuesday, 6th April, 2010. My name is Edwin Herman. Brett King joins me on Skype. Welcome, Brett. Hello, Edwin. Well, it's been a great Easter weekend. Any time away from work is good. Indeed. And also, Apple released the iPad this Easter weekend. Yes, April 3rd. They... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they create hype like no one else can. They had <laughs> long lines of people waiting outside. One guy queued for two days. So there was a huge crowd outside the Apple stores in the States uh, waiting for the launch of the iPad. And it happened. Yes, indeed. Not as big as the queues for the iPhone, but still pretty impressive. They reckon they sold uh, 700,000 already, mm. which is pretty good. Yes. Indeed. And I would say uh, a majority of those would probably have been uh, pre-orders that um, chose the send it to me instead of me queuing method. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be the easiest option. It's crazy. This I don't know how Apple do this because is it is it just because they have a, a whole bunch of fanboys out there or is it something yep. the company is doing? Uh, it's, it's, the, it's their media machine. It's their PR. Their PR machine and the fact that they do have a very loyal almost fanatical in some cases, following. Would you queue for something like that? Well, maybe you're not interested in the iPad, but if you're interested in something like, I don't know, maybe the PS3 or the PS4 when it comes out or whatever, would would you go and queue up to get something like that? Is it, well, put it, right, I'll rephrase the question. What would you queue up for like that? Well, it'd have to be pretty, pretty special to make me actually, you know, queue up for it. I'll pre-order something. Um, but the point of pre-ordering is the fact that I've put it on hold and it's mine. I can pick it up whenever I want. I don't have to stand there at some unreasonable hour. I can toddle in whenever. Well, actually, so I'm not, I'm not one of those people who needs to have it the second it's released. I can wait the extra day for the queues to subside so I can go in and get the one I pre-ordered. Well, actually, as was said, he, he queued up. And he said, people asked him, why are you queuing? You're the was. And he said, queues are fun. These launches are fun. He loves it. He loves the atmosphere, being out there. <laughs> does, does that do anything for you, Brett? Oh, well, I have been to a couple of uh, launch events, and they have, they have indeed been quite fun times. There is something to be said about the atmosphere, isn't there? Hmm. So he was fourth in line. He's got his iPad now, and he's hooked it up to Twitter and he's tweeting from it and he says he loves it. But of course, well, what else would you say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really hate this thing. I can't believe Apple put this stupid device out. Who's Apple anyway? <laughs> Indeed, I can't believe I queued for that long for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the, the reaction from a lot of people has been quite mixed. There, there are people that are still saying that they're underwhelmed. There have been quite a few converts having said that. There are people that said uh, initially that this is just an underwhelming device. I'm really mm-hmm. not impressed. But they went out and got one anyway on launch day. 
and they said they've actually been converted. They they say I I actually quite like it. So well, it, it seems it to has, be- yeah, it has a niche. It, it's got a niche. It won't be what a lot of people expect from a tablet device, but then uh, you can't think of it as a tablet computer. It's not a tablet computer. No, it's its, it's own is, thing, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's an internet. It's an internet um, appliance. Basically, it is an appliance used for browsing and doing some things on the internet. Not all things, because we, we know it can't do them all, but some. That's a good way of summarizing it, actually. It's, it's in fact, as you said, it's a, it's a mobile internet device. Yeah. Oh, internet appliance, I think you said. A mobile Indeed. internet appliance. Yes. You know what I did do, actually? I visited a few of the, the big sites out there masquerading as if I was on an iPad. I, I used Safari to change my uh, user agent string. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting what you get. YouTube looks completely different. You get the touchscreen version of YouTube. Didn't yep. even know there was one. Uh, and Twitter as well. That, that gives you, takes you to the mobile version. So it's quite interesting browsing some of the sites, masquerading as if you're on an iPad. Things <laughs> look very different. I actually watched some of the uh, live casts of the queues as well, and people were being interviewed and, and stuff like that. And people are out there with their tents and big jackets and sleeping bags and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That, that, that was the iPad, the, the launch day. It's been and gone now, and people are presumably out there playing with their iPads as we speak. And hopefully we'll get some real live people reviews of this instead of just the, the hype reviews we've had previous. Well, actually, that would be interesting because, you know, you, you don't know who the media's pampering to. You don't know what their agenda is. So, yeah, as you say, you know, it's, it's out there now. People have it. Real people have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting, as you say, to to see what uh, their take is. Now, the iPad wasn't the only launch. YouTube also launched its redesigned site. It's uh, quite interesting because it kind of confuses me a little bit. I'm looking for things that I can't find, and I just haven't bothered to continue to find. I kind of gave up, you know, sh- short attention span and all that kind of thing. I, I can't mm-hmm. find the the details of of the the video, or, or maybe it's the blue thing underneath it. I don't know. I haven't worked that one out. They've also got rid of the the uh, five-star rating system. It's only now, there's only two buttons to rate, like it or don't like it. Two buttons. Really? Well, the rationale behind that was that YouTube said that most people were rating things either one star or five stars and not many were going for the two, three or four. Yeah, it is It is that way. Most things, when you are given a one to five rating, people will go, well, I liked it, so I'll give it a five or I didn't like it, so I'll give it a one. Uh, and, and not only that, but if you are kind of impartial, why would you bother clicking on that? Exactly. If you're impartial to it, you just, why would you bother rating it in the first place? Exactly. You just don't rate. <laughs> yeah, you just wouldn't rate it. So they've gone for their like it, dislike it. And you can still get the five stars out of that in theory because, you know, the ratio of how many likes there are to dislikes, you can kind of form a scale of one to five if you wanted. I'm not sure if they're doing that, but uh, in the- it still allows you to do that. Mm. So uh, that that was the rationale behind that one. The, the site is quite different uh, in, the, in the layout. There's some nice things about it in that, uh, remember on the right-hand side, you'd, you'd get the little thing that says more videos from such and such user? Yep. And that would kind of, in a way, sometimes clutter up that side, but you could collapse it, but it, it's clumsy. So what they've done now is uh, you click on a, a, a little icon above the video, uh, it tells you how many videos the person has, and it kind of pushes things down the screen sort of, comes down a little to make room for one line of the first, I don't know, six or so videos by that person. You can scroll along horizontally. So it's actually yep. quite nice. Uh. 
the idea was to simplify the site because I, th- I think YouTube identified there were two main users. There were the the people who just want the video and don't care for all the rubbish around the outside. Exactly. And then the people who like to have everything at their fingertips. Absolutely. Yep. The ones the power the ones that want to know everything and what the yep. rating is, who's it what by, the is, what else they've is. done, yeah, what are some related stuff, all that sort of all the comments. They want everything. So they're yep. kind of trying to cater for both audiences. Which is a big big task. It is a big task. But I'm liking it. I, I'm really liking the new YouTube. It's you could see it over the years getting a little more and more bloated as as they introduce new features and they just sort of tack them on to the side bit or at the top or, or something like that instead of actually rethinking, okay, how are we going to serve up this new piece of information? Where should it go logically? Is it in the way if we just add it to the side? Is there a better way of doing it? So what do you think, Brett? Oh, I think it looks pretty good. It's definitely Having cleaner, just isn't now it? Had a look, yeah. It's definitely a lot cleaner. I think, you know, it'll be a little bit like the ribbon in Office, you know. It takes you a little while to figure out where things are. But once you know, it's not a problem. And I do like the idea of the the uh, like it, dislike it. Yeah, to, you know, I can understand exactly what YouTube was saying about the one to five thing. Who bothers with two, three or four? It's, uh, you either really hate it or you really like it or you don't bother. So exactly. It, it makes sense. It's nice and easy. It does. It mm. does. Well, that's YouTube done. Google and China, they're still in the news. Still in the news indeed. <laughs> something something happened last week that no one really knows what the cause was. Yeah, uh, google.com.hk suddenly became blocked. That was the only way that people in, in China, I think, could, could search now, couldn't they? Yeah, the only Google search available to, to them. Behind the, the Great Firewall. And uh, as you said, it, it was unavailable. People thought uh, it was something that Google had done, and they thought it was too, but then they came out afterwards saying, well, actually, we we realized that we implemented a, a, the change we thought that caused this two weeks ago, so it can't have been that, which is a little worrying because you'd think that Google should know when it applies changes. <laughs> indeed, indeed, unless it's one of those things of you've got to apply this change and it, it filters down to somebody's, you know, through <laughs> filters down to somebody's schedule. And it happens when it's, uh, you know, pops up onto the top of their schedule. Yeah, so everyone thought it had happened because I was supposed to have done it then, but they really were two weeks behind work. And, of course, he didn't say, or he or she didn't say anything. So <laughs> maybe maybe you're right. Maybe that's exactly what, uh, why. But either way, uh, Google really aren't sure what it is. They suspect it's some change to the Great Firewall of China. Some mm. of the- Yeah, they do. They do suspect now that it was a change made on the Chinese side to their big government's uh, firewall. But nobody is. Nobody's really sure. No one's talking. Really, no one's coming out with with any facts. Mm. It's really weird because this this Google China thing just keeps bubbling away. There's there's always something happening. You know, for the last three or four weeks, it's been like this. So something's happening, but no one, as I say, no one really knows what the deal is. And yeah. we've got all these questions and no answers. Well, well, the Chinese government is not always has not always been well known for providing answers <laughs> That's to true. these sorts of things. <laughs> That's very true. But it wouldn't be surprising given the actions that the Chinese government has already made since Google changed its um, Google search from the Chinese-based censored servers to the Hong Kong-based uncensored servers. 
they've already partially brought some mobile services and have instructed their domestic media companies to follow the guidelines about the, the censorship and what goes through the firewall. So really, we can almost expect that China is busy doing something. Well, well what's the game, though? Is it just to... Is it just well, it's to tighten, go, tighten the firewall? Well, yeah, it's just to go all along. Um, they they have their firewall for their own reasons, and Google has now that you know, after all of the recent issues, has pulled back from everything it was previously doing in conjunction with the Chinese government, and has now gone okay, fine, <laughs> we're pulling out. We've got our Hong Kong things. We're uncensoring it. And that goes against what the the Chinese government wants, which is the reason they put in their firewall. So it, it stands to reason that this is part of their response to that. Okay, so let's talk about SSL certificates and how we should be worried about those, potentially. Indeed. The, the one thing which everybody thought, you know, it's something you can trust, SSL, the, the encryption mechanism to secure point-to-point internet traffic and yeah everybody's been able to think so far you know sit back on their laurels going that's secure people can't break that but as always there is a flaw to any of these sorts of systems that have responsibility held by a group or a person that's your point of weakness absolutely so what what you're really saying is that when you initiate an SSL connection with a website, the other website at the other end says, hi, I'm so-and-so. Now, how do you really know that so-and-so? Because anyone can say, I'm Amazon.com or I'm Indeed, eBay.com. Indeed, the, the SSL infrastructure itself does not have any mechanism in it for you know each party on each end of the SSL, in SSL connection actually saying or proving who they are. It's all based on trust. Absolutely. It all comes down to trust, like a Thought and VeriSign and, and places like that. But those are the those are basically the people we trust to not issue certificates to dodgy companies. So that we, we are saying any certificate issued by those authorities should be good to go. They should be bona fide Indeed, certificates. Indeed, sh- they we, should we, be the, places that you can trust to put in your credit card information, put in your personal details, and there will be a... A trust uh, that the traffic between what you're doing on your machine and what happens at the other end of that connection is encrypted and secure from any sort of eavesdropping. And most browsers trust those certificate authorities, don't they? Indeed. There are certain core certificate authorities which basically all browsers have on their trusted list. But it's not true that the trusted list of certificate authorities is the same for each browser. Each browser can have other certificate authorities that are in its trusted list that might not be in somebody, uh, you know, an, a different browser. And that's exactly where, the, where this comes in, isn't it? Because haven't we seen it's, instances where there are government authorities in there? Indeed. There are some uh, countries which have government certificate authorities for good reason, so that, you know, government um, encrypted traffic and those sorts of things are not reliant on a third party. Um, so there is good reason for it. But then you get into situations where the, the certificate authority itself and the government might be doing things not on the trustworthy sort of way. For instance, what we saw previously with the BlackBerry, which, where was it? The United Arab Emirates, where the government-owned telco there pushed out an update to all of the Blackberries, which included spyware. Oh, no. 
And so this is where you get to people that you think you should trust, but then do something which isn't very trustworthy. And that's where, that's one of the situations we've got here is the reason that SSL works is that the, the mechanism itself, the encryption and decryption is, is pretty solid. The only way you can get that sort of man in the middle attack which allows you to snoop on these sorts of systems, is if that man in the middle can pretend to be the trusted entity that you're connecting to. Yeah, so in other words, they have to produce a certificate that your computer trusts. Exactly. They have to produce a certificate saying that they are the people that you're trying to connect to, even though they're not. But that should not be possible with trusted certificate authorities. But then when you get into situations like this, where you have a non-trustworthy certificate authority being trusted by your browser. Like the government. Like the government situation we were talking about there, the telco one. That telco can issue a certificate saying that it is a site and put it in their man in the middle. So you then go and think you're going to, I don't know, a bank, your bank's website, and your browser comes up with an SSL encryption and you go all fine and dandy, it all looks the same, all that sort of stuff. But what has happened is the fact that it is SSL encrypted. However, the certificate is not issued by the authority for the bank. It's issued by another trusted authority that your browser is trusting. Uh, And you're not connecting to the bank. You're connecting to a man in the middle who is then passing on all of that information that you're putting into it onto the bank. So it's being able to decrypt everything that you're giving it, re-encrypt it, send it onto the bank. So everything looks seamless to you. But... It's this one particular flaw. Now, this is in a situation where you have an untrustworthy certificate authority, and you can do you can check that by looking at the the little you know, it comes up with the little symbol or the little padlock and those sorts of things on your browser indicating that you've got an encrypted SSL connection. If you hover over the little padlock or click on the padlock, you can get expanded information about that certificate authority. And so you might notice that hey, wait a minute, that certificate authority is not VeriSign. That certificate the authority is the local telco. So that's obviously not <laughs> the proper one. So I'm going to the wrong site. But who but does that? And what indeed, would alert you to that? You know, would nothing, do that? Nothing would alert you to the fact that nothing you need to would alert you to that. that. And nothing would alert you to that. Though some people are creating a Firefox plugin which will alert you to those sorts of things. But the biggest insidious part of this whole thing is those situations where the the fraudulent certificate is issued by the correct trusted certificate authority that the actual certificate is is issued by. So for instance, if VeriSign issued the Amazon certificate, amazon.com, and they then issued a fake certificate for a different machine to perform man in the middle um, snooping, then you wouldn't know. No, but this, I was just going to say that actually. It's, it, there's two things here. There's one, the fact that Inherently, a lot of operating systems and browsers have certain government organizations on the list of trusted uh, authorities to issue certificates. The, mm. the other thing is, as you said, VeriSign, Thought, all those supposed trusted organizations, in, in fact, comes down to the word trust, really. They could, if they wanted to, issue dodgy certificates, and we would never know because we've learned to trust them. Yeah, and the entire basis of the SSL encryption system the, the infrastructure for it is based entirely around that trust. But then you get into those sorts of legal situations where a government or a legal entity could, via court order or some other more covert or 
you know, an insidious method coerce that authority into providing a fake certificate. But yeah, it's <laughs> so it's kind of a big hole, really. It's not something it's, that we well, know happens, but it's one of those situations where it all does come down to trust in people or trust in an organization. And you are trusting that that organization will never break the mandate that you have given it trust for. You are trusting that authority. You're trusting Verisign to never issue anybody else a certificate for your company or for, you know, if you're a consumer, the company or the bank or the institution that you are attempting to secure connect to. You are trusting it never to do that. If it ever came to light that one of them was doing that, then that trust would be broken instantly. But it's that that um, conspiracy theory, you know, sort of looking over your shoulder mindset that gets you into these sorts of situations where when you you project onto those trusted entities that there are times, there are methods that they could be pressured or coerced into providing that sort of thing, but would they? So this is where we get into this, you know, <laughs> well, what if this there's a court order where it could or it couldn't? Yeah, if there's a court order, they they may not they may have no choice. They they might have to do it, and and but part then, of the court order would be not to say anything. But that's that's part of this whole trust issue for it. There have got to be certain situations where that trust, that meaning, has to have a firm basis. You can't have that. Well, we trust you implicitly, except. <laughs> you can't have exceptions to trust. Yeah, but what I'm saying is we would never know. If a court if a court asked Verisign to issue a certain certificate and not say anything about it, we'd never know. We would never know until, you know, somebody did disclose it or through whatever method it was released that this actually did happen. Unfortunately, and that would then, ruin the reputation of Verisign. Exactly. It would completely ruin the reputation of that certificate authority. And it, if, it, if that it wouldn't ever be their fault, out. though. It wouldn't be their fault if they were it asked by a court to do it. Fault, but, but it does it, mean that the certificate yeah. authority itself has to really look at those sorts of situations. Do we keep that non-disclosure? Do we say that we have been ordered? We, we won't tell you for what, what domain, but we have been ordered by the blah, blah government courts or whatever to issue a certificate, a non-real certificate. So really, the, what this boils down to is you can't trust SSL. No, what it boils down to is you can't trust anything, but you have to. <laughs> you can't trust anything. This is getting worse. <laughs> well, any of these sorts of situations where your entire, your entire you know, security is resting on the shoulders of somebody else. This isn't your computer and another computer negotiating their encryption together because, you know, there's that whole, do you trust the other person? So you've got to have somebody you can trust tell you that that other person is the person that you're trying to talk to. And that's what the whole SSL infrastructure and system is built upon, is that there are these people that we trust. And if for any reason that trust is broken or can be broken then the entire system falls down. So that's why it, you know, is really on the backs of those certificate authorities, those the big trusted ones, to maintain that trust, 
to disclose situations where a government or a court forces them or tries to pressure them to issue a fake certificate because that is breaking that trust. Whether a court, whether the president of the United States knocks on Verisign's head office and the president of Verisign and says, you issue a certificate to Amazon so that we can snoop on this suspected terrorist who is buying DVDs of the X-Files. We want to know. (laughs) (laughs) To maintain that trust, VeriSign Company would have to disclose that they are going to do that or should take a stand saying we will not do this because it breaks the trust and it makes this entire system of security and encryption on the internet fall down. This story came out because someone discovered that a company, I think called Packet Forensics, had built this device. We're build, building and selling these devices to governments that allow people to do a man in the middle attack. Now, on its own, in the middle attack in a box on, on SSL, <laughs> that in itself is useless without tricking. Without that fake the, certificate. The, yeah, without the fake certificate, yeah. But in other words, tricking a, either leveraging on the fact that many browsers trust certain government organizations as part of the, you know, the certificate authorities that they trust, mm-hmm. or by coercing you know, one of the, the, the trusted companies like Thought and VeriSign to issue a, a dodgy one. That's, that's how this story came out. Mm. It is, yeah. <laughs> and that company has admitted that they do, in fact, manufacture these things after first saying that they didn't. Yeah, that's right. They first denied it. And now but it is, it is, it is a, it is a big concern because if it ever did come out that one of those big trusted ones, not talking about the government ones or the, the smaller, you know, telco ones that are, you know, just a single country or just a single, you know, area and just their things trust this particular one. We're talking about the big international ones here. If any one of those was discovered to have handed out fake certificates to governments, to intelligence agencies, to even law enforcement, it would break the entire system. Do you know what I could see happening in that situation? You'd get a startup that would be based in some no man's land type thing, like the Cayman Islands or something, Mm -hmm. and they would be try and be the new thought and the new uh, verisign and say, hey, we are out here. No one can touch us. There are no, well, not there are no laws, but you know, there are no laws that force us to disclose this kind of stuff because we're, you know, we're in this country that doesn't have these laws. You can trust us. We are it. And, and I think you'd get a lot of people turning to them to, to issue the, the well, certificates. Well, it's, it's got a good standpoint to start from, but they've got to have something else which makes them trustworthy. You can't protect- just put yourself in in, a, in that sort of situation. Well, the thing is, you can argue, them. like you say, you can argue this ad infinitum. You can say, well, who trusts? Yeah, why would you trust them? But what then? Why would you trust anyone? Mm. It's it's that buy-in. It's that buy-in from the, the the infrastructure. It's that buy-in from the different governments, the different agencies that put all this stuff together. That is how it develops those trusts. That is why we trust Thought and we trust Verisign above other. CAs, certificate authorities, because they've got the buy-in from everybody else that they are the trustworthy people. Well, tell you who you can trust. You can trust Sony to let you keep using Linux on your PlayStation 3 because that feature's going. Indeed. (laughs) Sony's got to be one of the only organizations ever that has a piece of hardware out there that has features that they retroactively turn off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
It's Fancy like, that. Every, Sorry, yeah, you can't do this anymore. Firmware comes out. We're turning off another feature that your that your device can do. <laughs> You're supposed to add features, not remove features. <laughs> Precisely. It'd be as if you know the the people who manufactured your fridge suddenly decided that wait, wait, your fridge freezer. We're going to retroactively because all of our new fridge freezers are only fridges. We're going to retroactively disable the freezer on your fridge. It will become a second fridge. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's like, what are you doing? This this would annoy a lot of people. But you it, know, I, I know why they're doing it. I'll tell you exactly why they're doing it. Because every PlayStation they sell, no one really knows how much they make. Some people say, uh, think that they, they make a loss. Whatever it is, they either make a little, uh, a very, very small amount on their hardware, or even a loss. Mm-hmm. So where do they make the money? They make the money from the games, through, through the manufacturers that do the games. Now, the people who run Linux on their machine aren't necessarily... Playing the games, buying the games. The, the, the no, I know some places, some institutions, for instance, and companies who just bought up lots of PlayStations because of the the power of the cell processor in them. That's right. Installed Linux, cluster them all together, and just use them as big um, cluster farms. Exactly, it's, and they're and they're, just, fairly, they're fairly cheap as well. And and so that's why Sony is doing that. Powerful. Well, that's um, why Sony's doing it because they're it, not getting the money from those people. They've lost a whole bunch of money from them. It, it could be, it could be, but it is a bad decision to retroactively turn off something that has been there from the beginning. Well, actually, Sony have said you don't have to apply the patch. It is optional, so it's Indeed. not it's not a compulsory it is patch. And so you However, know, if you, you ever know. want to continue to play games or to connect to the PlayStation Network, you must apply the patch. Yeah, so you're kind of out on your own in that yeah. respect. But so all of the places who are just using their PlayStation threes as processor farms are going to be fine because they'd never connect to the PlayStation 3 in the first place. It's all of those people who do, uh, who run Linux on their PlayStation 3 for whatever reason, maybe they use it as a media server or those sorts of things when they're not playing games. Those are the people going to be impacted because they're the ones who are going to want to connect to the PlayStation network. They're the ones who are going to want to continue to play games on their machine. Yeah, it's the ones that do both that are going to be hurt by this. And they're yeah. going to be really annoyed. I would be annoyed if I was one of those people. I, I, I just Indeed. know it. I would be incredibly annoyed if I was one of those people. I don't know if they're going to be shooting themselves in the foot here. I, you know, it's, I mean, already they're, they're in competition with the Xbox, so this could be a little, you know, driver to, to think, well, fine, goodbye, Sony, hello, Microsoft. Hmm... Not so sure about that. Well, I don't think it'd be the make or break, but I think it's certainly yeah, uh, an it's incentive. Just like Apple has its own fanboys, the the PlayStation has its own core group as well. But yes, it's definitely something to to piss off a heap of people. <laughs> How to piss off your customers? Retroactively turn off features that already exist on the device. <laughs> we'll take that back. Thank you. Indeed, that's that's like the iPad shipping with Flash support, and then Apple deciding not to put it in. Yeah, we didn't mean to put to it in. It you can take, we're taking our flash back. Exactly. Well, actually, already they kind of do with the iPhone and the iPad have the ability to nuke apps. Exactly, they so do. So there is a remote kill thing. They do have the ability to remove stuff from your iPad or your iPhone. That is another one of those things of you're buying a device that you think is yours that you can do stuff with. But then these other people still, through their little networks and through their other little update stuff still have the ability to completely destroy the device that you just bought well at least part of the device not not the whole thing well can they nuke the whole thing i don't oh. think they can nuke the whole thing can they they can't brick it for yes, you yes they can can they it's called a firmware update <laughs> sony's good at that 
Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you mean 3.0. Oh, yeah, 3.0, sorry. 3.01 is what fixed it. Exactly. Yeah. And last story here, just an interesting survey on the satisfaction of smartphone users. And because, you know, people have often wondered, you know, are smartphone users really satisfied with what they're getting from the different vendors? And there are the different things offered. Apple do a completely buttonless thing. Well, there's only one, there's one button, but that doesn't count. Yeah, uh, touchscreen. Yeah, it's all touchscreen, as you say. Others do a kind of a half, half sort of scenario and others do a, a mostly physical button solution. And it's just interesting looking at the results here. In short, the, the answer is that touchscreen phones do have an edge. People are happier with their touchscreen phones, contrary to what we thought some years ago when these were just new. Yeah, well, the the interface for touchscreen has come about in leaps and bounds over the past, you know, couple of years, uh, especially with the the iPhone. The multi-touch interface is just a brilliant, brilliant revolution in touchscreen technology. But they had to do that, right? You can't take an existing interface like, say, Windows Mobile Seven, uh, sorry, Windows Mobile Five type interface, and just touchify it. It just wouldn't, no. that wouldn't work. It just wouldn't no, work. It's, you have it's, to you have to build the interface for the method of interacting with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Apple did really well in the interface, and in fact, overall, they did very well. Uh, not so well on the battery side, though. Rim were the big winners on the battery side. Yeah, the the BlackBerry has had has always had a surprisingly good battery life. And people people like that about it. In fact, Nokia uh, Nokia and Samsung were also up there as well. I think four out of five uh, for battery life. So interesting little survey there because uh, I just thought I'd, I pulled the story out simply because, you know, two, three years ago when touch interfaces were relatively new, a lot of people were actually saying, oh, this is never going to work. People want their physical buttons. And yeah. it's, well, true, it's because, true of some yeah. people. It is true of some people. But overall, the this, this survey demonstrates that when you consider the entire user base, it's actually not the yeah, case when you that consider, people want, want yeah, the, the physical buttons. When you consider the, the, the modern touchscreen technology, it's, it's yeah, the, the, the multi-touch gesture support, all those sorts of things just make it far and above easier to use than a traditional buttoned handset. So it's not, quite, it's not surprising that um, the, the touchscreens are, are, are ruling the waves now. And that concludes our show. Nice uh, short Easter one. Excellent. All right, well, it's time for us to sign off then, I guess. Uh, the only thing I would actually add is I wonder how long it will take before we can run Linux on the iPad. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever be able to run Linux on the iPad. Well, someone will come up with something, surely. Well, how are you going to get it there in the first place? Well, I don't know, but, well, <laughs> through okay. The, <laughs> yeah. Through the, um, the SD card slot. Well, uh, the people seem to have ways and means. I mean, look, we've, we, true, people true. run Linux on, a, on iPods. True, that is that is quite true. And that hooks we up will by, see it, but yeah. we will not see it being supported. Oh no, not officially. No, <laughs> certainly not. It's just like we will will not see ever again the the OS X being supported on a netbook, even though you can still do it, even though they turned it off. Oh, the, you mean the Hackintosh? Yes. Mm. Oh, any computer it can just be a, desk, a, a Dell desktop will do. Yeah. So that's our show, Brett. Time for us to go, but we'll be back next week, won't we? Indeed we will. All right. In the meantime, check out our website, boysoftech.com. Feel free to leave comments there if you like on the show. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you very much for listening. See you again next week. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.